this is uh, Emmett Fox's power through constructive thinking. Life after death, part four. Here I wish to explain that while the foregoing instructions are what really should be done, yet in certain cases it will not be possible for family reasons to carry them out. If other members of your family are old-fashioned in their views, particularly the older members, parents, for instance, then it is often well to give way and do what they expect. So do what they expect rather than wound their deepest feelings. It may be while you know better that they do not, and so if cremation would shock them, have the body buried and attend the funeral in the name of Christian charity. Of course, the expressed wish of the deceased should always be carried out. We should do all that we can within reason for avoiding the giving of pain in these matters to parents and older relatives. On the other hand, do not compromise in order to spare feelings of young people because they ought to learn better and never consider the opinions of neighbors or distant relatives in such matters. A man in New York told me that he was not wearing black because he knew that his recently deceased sister was not dead, but that on visiting his parents' home, which he did every few weeks, he wore mourning to avoid scandalizing them. I told him that he was quite right and that such was the course I always advised in these matters. A word had better be said here without and about suicide. The majority of those who take their own lives are so worried or terrorized at the time that they are not morally responsible for the fact, and so it is not really suicide, but rather death by misadventure. Such people fare, uh, they fare on the other side like anyone else. In a genuine case of suicide, however, it is very different. Conscious and intentional self-destruction is a crime severely punished by nature. It is a refusal to meet the problems of life, and obviously it cannot be possible to do that successfully. Those who seek this way out do not meet their friends on the other side. They are lonely and unhappy and are apt to find themselves in a confused 
mental state, which is really subjective. A kind of vague dream, which sometimes makes them think they're wandering about in a dense fog. Of course, they can be greatly helped in prayer, as can all others. Ultimately, they have to face all over again precisely the kind of problem they have run away from with time wasted and suffering experienced for nothing. Now I reach the problem of whether it is possible or not to communicate with those who have passed on into the next world. On this subject, an enormous number of books have been published, and the most acrimonious and bitter controversy has raged up and down, and raged up and down through the entire world for a very long time. Indeed, many people seem unable to touch on this subject, and at the same time, retain either their common sense or their good manners. The most violent epithets are hurled at one another by controversialists on both sides, and I have known several long-standing friendships to be severed over just this question of whether or not it is possible for us to communicate with the so-called dead. Extremists on one side say dramatically and also say dogmatically that it is absolutely impossible to do so. Enthusiasts on the other side claim that they are in clear and intimate communication with their deceased friends as frequently as once or twice a week or more. What is the truth? Well, the truth is that communication does occasionally take place, but that is uh, as far rarer than most believers in it suppose and that it is always accomplished with considerable difficulty and uncertainty. It is not in the least like telephoning from New York to Chicago. It is more like the very early days of Marconi's experiments in wireless when he, on an occasion, and a very broken message came through, but much more often, mere atmospheric disturbances and meaningless movements of the instruments were all that could be registered. Do not dabble in psychic things. If you wish to investigate thoroughly and scientifically, well and good, but this will be the work of years and will call for scientific conditions. 
The chief objection to the running after mediums that so many people practice is that it is really a running away from the responsibilities of this life. Professional mediums say that they seldom get a client who is happy, whose life is full of prosperity and self-expression. Uh, On the contrary, it is those whose lives here are frustrated and unhappy, irrespective of a particular bereavement, who are always trying to communicate with the next plane. Thus it becomes what is called in psychology an escape mechanism, and it can be almost as disastrous as uh, taking to drink or narcotic drugs. Your business is to live here in this world while you are here, to face up to your problems here and to try to solve them and to live in the next world when you get there. There is a truly spiritual mode of communication from which nothing but good can come. It is this. Sit quietly and remind yourself that the one God really is omnipresent. Then reflect that your real self, the divine spark of you, is in the presence of God now, and that the real self, the divine spark of you, and of your loved one is also in the presence of God. Do his for a few minutes every day, and sooner or later you will get a sense of communication. However, no detailed message will come as a rule. Only a definite and unmistakable sense that he knows you have thought of him and that he is thinking of you. People often ask, what should they do to prepare themselves for the next world? The best way to prepare for the future is to live rightly today. Lead a clean, honest life embodying in your conduct the highest that you know at the time. Be as useful as you can to others. Do all that you can to help other people in any way that is open to you. Everyone has some opportunity of service, physical, mental, or spiritual and those opportunities must be used. If you seem to have no opportunities to help others, go to work and manufacture some. Learn the truth of being. Learn as much as you can about the nature of God, the only thing really worth knowing, 
and learn what man is and what life really means. This world is a school, and that and nothing more. And provided you learn your lesson, nothing else matters. It does not really matter whether you are rich or poor, cultured or simple, a king or a scavenger. These are only the roles that men enact on the stage of life. How the role is acted is what matters. The two supreme lessons set for this school are the lesson of the omnipresence of God and the lesson of the power of thought. Every negative or difficult thing that enters into your life marks your inability to realize the presence of God at that point, and it is therefore but the signal for another step to be made. Make that step in spiritual understanding and never again Throughout eternity, will that particular task have to be done? The power of thought is the second great lesson that we have to master. And here again, as Jesus told us, the tree is known by its fruits. Now that you understand these things in some degree, it should be possible for you to go through life and to meet death with that even mind, to which a modern seer referred. You should be habitually cheerful and happy, neither unduly elated by seeming good fortune nor unduly depressed by temporary adversity because you access both of these things as the current and correct value. You should never be so completely so completely wedded to any particular set of conditions to a house or to a district, or a job, or a vocation, or to any earthly arrangement, that you cannot part from it without undue regret. That's undue regret, Elmer. You should not be dependent for your happiness or self-respect upon human praise, or approval, though such things may be appreciated in their place. Your attitude should be, I do my duty and enjoy myself where I am. I do any job and pass on to another. I am going to live forever in a thousand years from now. 
I shall be alive and active somewhere in a hundred thousand years, still alive and still active somewhere else. And so the events of today have only the importance that belongs to today. These are belongings that involve in the now. Always the best is yet to be. Always the future will be better than the present or the past because I am ever growing and progressing and I am an immortal soul. I am the master of my fate. I greet the unknown with a cheer and press forward joyously, exulting in the great adventure. Armed with this philosophy and really understanding its power, you have nothing to fear in life or death because God is all, and God is good. This is a note from the author. I would impress upon the readers of this essay that no written description can really do justice to the subject. It can but hint and suggest the truth. However correct the itinerary of a journey may be, it is likely to seem somewhat dry and unattractive when read, since the benefit and joy of the new adventure must enable the written word. The essay, of course, describes the experiences of the soul between incarnations. So, this essay that describes the experiences of the soul or those experiences are between incarnations from one spiritual plane after another. This is the end of Life After Death, Power Through Constructive Thinking.